This episode of That Song from That Movie is coming up after this. Do you ever find yourself sitting on the couch late at night wondering, what should I watch? Aimlessly flipping through streaming services, pondering as you let your cursor settle over a title, but you just can't bring yourself to commit and push play. Well, guess what? We do that, and we made a podcast about it. Because everybody makes podcasts, but we decided to make ours about movies. I'm Kay. I'm E. And together we start a journey through cinema where we watch a movie, sit down, discuss it, debate it, test each other's knowledge of it, and then give our final seal of approval or disapproval. Yeah. So join us as we try to search the infinite web, attempting to answer the age-old question, what should we watch? So check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and drop us a comment. Let us know what you think, and we'll have some interactive portions where you can join the fun. So, pop some popcorn, pop some wine, and join us, won't you? Tune in to What Should We Watch with K&E. Coming at you live, brother. It's not live. Coming at you Pre-recorded and edited. Pre-recorded, edited, and delivered, brother. Bye. And for the final time ever, we welcome a new face to the James Bond hot seat in the chiseled shape of Daniel Craig. Will that bring a new wave of songs? Find out on today's That Song From That Movie. No bees, no honey. Okay, you're supposed to say back. No work, no money. You completely lost me. <laughs> Thank you for joining that song from that movie, the journey through the very best and worst of movie songs. I am your half-monk, half-hitman host, Dietrich, and we're joined by a man who doesn't give a damn if his martinis are shaken or stirred, Alex. Yeah, that's right. I'll just drink it clean out of the bottle. <laughs> what? It's like actually like vermouth, sort of dry martini. <laughs> vermouth. <laughs> Is that pronunciation of Vermouth. <laughs> Cultured swine. Yep. <laughs> and we're also joined by the only person who can explain what exactly a quantum of solace actually is, Ben. Uh, it's slightly smaller than a, I don't know. It's an organisation of baddies. Is it something to do with war? I feel like it's war related. <laughs> that is technically, yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a harking back to the bond of old. Just throwing darts <laughs> at like random things. Stealing water from... Bolivia. <laughs> it's like the Family Guy sketch on South Park. Yeah, in South Park. <laughs> the manatees. Exactly, yeah. What have we been watching this week? I watched Borat, the second Borat film. Is it any good? I've not watched it yet. Do you like the first Borat? I remember liking it the first time I watched it and then thinking that the humour didn't quite land the second time because it's like shock value. Yes, um, yeah. I don't think I'm always the best with shock humour. But it, it was entertaining in parts. And like I say, I think it only works the first time. I will not rush to watch it again. <laughs> I've seen the clip of the Rudy Giuliani bit, and it's very uncomfortable. It's incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. It's there's there's very little excuses that would fit the scenario of what he's doing. Well, apparently, he's just taking shit into his trousers. Then that's what I've heard. Mm, but he's <laughs> laying on the bed backwards <laughs> while she is kind of around him, and she's he's already kind of rubbed her backside. <laughs> They're in a private room. <laughs> Surely he has training on these things to avoid this these um, sort of catfishing 
<laughs> what I enjoyed is that he called the police, though, didn't he? Yeah. I don't know if this is brought up in the film, but he no. yeah he called the police uh, and said that he'd been harassed by a, a man <laughs> wearing a weird red gimp outfit or something like that. No, I mean spoilers, but Borat does run in in a bra and pants. <laughs> I mean, the cojones on that man. Not Rudy Giuliani. We almost saw his cojones, though. hi Let's leave it What about you, Alex? Watched anything this week? Um, yes, we watched the film Zodiac, which I think we did mention maybe on this podcast at one point, but I've watched it. Yeah, we, de- we definitely did mention it before. But um, I very much enjoyed it. It was two hours and 40 minutes, but it just so flew long. by. I, I it it, does, it I, does not fly by. It's good, <laughs> but it does not. That's a, that's a lie, and you know it. I think I'm still watching it now from the very first time. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, we we actually rewatched it quite recently because my wife had never seen it, and I think we ended up watching it in two parts because she fell asleep twice. Mm. Well, we were worried <laughs> that that would happen, but this is why I was saying it, it flew by because actually neither of us did fall asleep. I, I felt like I was gripped. No, I, I'm gripped for like the first forty-five, and then I'm slowly <laughs> the, the hand goes numb from arthritis and loosens its grip upon me. Wow. What's that? You want to know what I've been watching this week, guys? Yes. Well, no. <laughs> obviously, I've not watched any films this week because, you know, I never watch films. What a guy. Instead, I have been excited because, finally, we've got to the culmination of the PUBG esports season, and it's the PUBG Continental Series Grand Finals started this week. So I've been watching five-hour streams of PUBG nonstop. Wow. So good. Come on, any trolls in chat, you can do it. <laughs> Listeners, if you just want to fast-forward 18 minutes, that's probably the roughly the part when Dietrich <laughs> stops talking about PUBG and the, the Bond stuff starts. Do you feel like everybody who's listening will know what PUBG is, or do you feel like you have to explain it? In fact, maybe don't answer that question. <laughs> I feel like we've wrong. explained it on a previous <laughs> podcast as well. How to do it. I suppose before we crack on with the actual episode, we do have to talk about some news that happened at the time of recording, I think it was last week, and that is the death of Sean Connery. No. That came out of nowhere. Yeah. To be fair, I was surprised. I don't know why. I think it, maybe it's just because when you're watching films, you see someone very cemented in a time period. But I was shocked that he was 90. I don't know why. Yeah. yeah. I feel like he's also looked old for a long time. Like if you go back to Last Crusade and like The Untouchables, he's still very old, looks very old in those films. Well, yeah, when was Last Crusade? That was the 80s. Maybe late 80s, like around 1990, maybe. Yeah, and he's like playing Indiana Jones' dad. Yeah. (laughs) Like he looks pretty old. (laughs) Yeah. I suppose, I think that's it. Like, you're surprised at first to hear that he's obviously passed, but then you do see the fact that he's 19. It's like, mm, yeah. yeah. So then it's not yeah. surprising, but it's obviously very sad. I think what didn't quite hit me until after he died and everyone was talking about his roles was, in my head, he's James Bond. That's his role. But he's been in so many iconic roles and across so many different films. Yeah. Oscar winner. Yeah. Was it The Untouchables? He won, the, he won it for The Untouchables, yeah. One of my favourite films, The Longest Day. It's one of his first roles and he actually almost doesn't look bald. <laughs> that's how old it is. I think he was in Marnie as well, wasn't he? The average mm-hmm. film. Uh, one of your guys' favourite films, I'm sure, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, rest in peace, Sean Connery. So today's episode is a breakdown of all the James Bond songs of the 2000s, the new millennium. But before we do that, it's back to the 90s to find out what you guys, not you, Alex and Ben, you guys, the listeners, picked as the best song. So, in the semi-final, it was GoldenEye versus Tomorrow Never Dies. GoldenEye easily won that, which I don't think is a surprise to anybody. Nope, not at all. <laughs> Literally nobody. So the final, the world is not enough, only got to the final via a bye because we split the episode in half. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> it was GoldenEye versus The World Is Not Enough. And again, unsurprisingly, GoldenEye won 63% of the vote to The World Are Not Enough's 37%. I'm, I'm surprised it was that close. I don't know. I think, I mean, per- personally, World Is Not Enough was the bezel and I voted for it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I think I'm, I'm happy that it got a respectable amount. I mean, respectable margin there, because it could have gone like 90 to 10% or something. So, good, good, fair play to Carbage. Fair play. Fair play. Right, so we'll do this in the order we've always done this. So, first up is Alex with Die Another Day. That is true. <laughs> so, Die Another Day, released in 2002, it was the 20th Bond film produced by you, and it was Pierce Brosnan's fourth and final film, as well as the last to star John Cleese as Q and Samantha Bond as Moneypenny. So, it was directed by Lee Tamahori, and it was the only one that he directed. Do you, are you guys aware of this uh, director's work, other than this film? Nope. Never heard of him. I'm going to name a couple of films for you. Triple X 2. Great. Great. That tracks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, the uh, Nicolas Cage film, Next. Which I think, again, maybe has been mentioned before. That's where you can see, like, five minutes into the future. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Raven, the, the action film. Oh. The action movie starring Nicolas Cage. Yeah, that's a Nicolas Cage. It's funny, actually, that, that he directed Triple X 2, because people were saying that one of the reviews I read said that Dying of the Day was trying to imitate Triple X 1. What world exists that is that way around? <laughs> it was like trying to hit like the hard action it's style mad. of Triple X. Yeah. Oh, God. So, I mean, I've written here what of plot. Because I think, in terms of this film, there is none. <laughs> I'm not sure that it, there is. That it does. That there is a film, and it does play out from beginning to end. But everything that happens in between is just utter chaotic nonsense. And uh, what's interesting about this film, I know obviously we're going to talk about the song in a second, but when this film came out, it actually received quite good reviews. <laughs> mad. D's favourite critic, Roger Ebert, gave it three out of four. <sighs> three out of four? Three out of four. And this one you'll enjoy. So A.O. Scott further enhanced the New York Times off-the-mark relationship with Bond, proclaiming that it was the best Bond film since The Spy Who Loved Me. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. There's another review that said it was Pierce Brosnan's best film. I think these are all very, very far off base. (laughs) It's like they're not seeing the film. I think we can certainly say that the contemporary view is that this is possibly the worst James Bond film of all time. Are, yep. you, are, you, are you guys kind of on board with that? Aged like full fat milk. <laughs> I don't think it's got worse. It was already at the bottom. Yeah, it was already <laughs> bad. I mean, there's just so many MacGuffins. I mean, Bond has a lot <laughs> of MacGuffins. But like, you could just turn a random point on and go, oh, look, that guy's getting diamonds ejected from his face <laughs> via some sort of laser treatment surgery. He's also becoming some sort of, what, middle-class white guy through some sort of weird yeah. technology. And then the like car's the being car. attacked by the sun. <laughs> <laughs> and let's not forget the ice palace that melts. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's never going to be a problem with that. No, no. no. I mean, as soon as you see it, it's like, well, we know what's happening there. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> I'd like to say it's like Chekhov's gun, but I think it's a little bit more obvious than that. <laughs> as well, the invisible car was the other thing. Oh, it was this one with the invisible thing. car, wasn't it? Because it's that that they're trying to shoot with the sun laser. <laughs> 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 You do get to see a lot of exotic locales in this film, though. There's like, yeah, yeah, there is, like, yeah. So, you know, you do certainly span the globe. <laughs> but my God, utterly ridiculous, this film. So another utterly ridiculous addition to this film is the song, which is Dying of the Day by Madonna. Before we go into a bit of the background of the song, do you guys want to give your initial opinions, Ben? I mean, it was one I always remembered. 
or at least parts, as seems to be the theme of any of these Bond songs. But as we would obviously go into, I was listening back to it just this morning with my cup of coffee. And the bit when he when she, when she says Sigmund Freud, I was like, "What? Wait, what?" <laughs> and I had to rewind it. What? What did she? Is that? I must. I must be mishearing that. Quickly went onto a lyric website. No, she actually does say Sigmund Freud. Analyze this. Analyze, analyze this, this. Analyze this. Analyze this. 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 <laughs> it's terrible. I think the song's catchy in parts, but li- listening to that just really sort of like, what? What, what are you buffing, Madonna? <laughs> in fact, I just think you ought to accentuate the light towards the end where she says, I need to lay down, is a good sort of description of what you feel like having to do after this. <laughs> D, got any nicer things to say? Um, <laughs> to answer your question, Alex, the only compliment I can pair this song is actually something that tracks for all three of these songs we're talking about. The opening, like, two or three notes is actually pretty cool. <laughs> yes. And then Madonna starts singing, and you sort of hear really terrible sort of early noughties dance beat in the background, and it just falls apart, and it's awful. <laughs> You'll always have that first couple of seconds of the song, right? We can always come back to that and pretend it was a decent song. You know, as Bond's head's been dunked into the water, and you think, oh, this is going to be really cool, and then it all falls apart very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not just the song, the film, everything about it <laughs> falls yeah. apart from that point on. I love that you can read the lyric which is just, I guess I'll die another day. <laughs> <laughs> like shrug of shoulders. <laughs> Will I? I? I guess. <laughs> I mean, they're trying, but you know. Oh. But we also have the thoughts from a James Bond fan podcast, a friend of the show, Roger Moore's Cubbyhole. I'll play that for you now. This is Alan Partridge from Roger Moore's Cubbyhole. No other James Bond podcast does it better. What to say about Madonna's Die Another Day? In the film, it's heard while Bond's being tortured by a kinky Korean scorpions. She might as well have just played him the song on a loop to torture him, like the Americans did at Guantanamo Bay with Barney the Dinosaur, actually. Anyway, the song's rubbish. Nowhere near as good as the living daylights by... Aha! <laughs> I mean, that's... That- just, just. I mean that that impression is on point. That is incredible. As, <laughs> as someone who now lives in Norfolk, that is brilliant. And you can't argue with that sentiment. The Living Daylights uh, by Aha is there. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does make you think, though. Like, can Bond hear this song whilst he's being tortured? Yeah, because it's interesting, <laughs> that, isn't it? Because it kind of the credits float. It's, it's a bit of an odd one, really. That doesn't happen in many of the films. That the credits sort of continue on the story a bit, don't they? Because obviously yes. he continues to be getting tortured whilst the song is playing. So maybe it's all part of it. <laughs> whilst the sexy scorpion ladies dance for some reason. <laughs> for some reason. I mean, Madonna is actually canon in the film, isn't she? <laughs> she does yeah, have a cameo yeah. in the film. Yeah. Should we talk about that first? I probably should say thanks to Roger Moore's Cubby Hole for that. Yes. They're on Twitter at Moore, as in M-O-O-R-E, Cubby. So check them out. Yeah. Continue. Well, let's before we talk about the actual uh, song and stuff, should we talk about Madonna's cameo in this film? Yeah, it <laughs> It's totally bizarre. Did you guys watch it back? I mean, it's only like a couple of no. minutes. I didn't watch it back, no. For some reason, it always reminds me of the butler in Tomb Raider for some reason. I think it's because I think of the house. <laughs> but they start fencing. They're having fencing. Yeah, yeah, it's fencing, but it's in this sort of weird manor house. And like she, her, and like Pierce Brosnan have this really weird, like awkward, flirty dance going on, and it's just really uncomfortable. And he says something about keeping his tip up, which is just like <laughs> the worst, the worst innuendo you've ever heard. This is of a time as well. Like when we think of the modern Daniel Craig Bond, who is trying to make him a bit more vulnerable, and like he's got flaws. 
it's that thing, well, of course he can fence. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's this Bond era where he literally can, of course he can fly a jetpack. You know, it's all this, basically, he can do everything. Yeah, because the guy, the, the main bad guy who obviously was former, like, North Korean dictator is now sort of <laughs> upper-class British man. <laughs> who doesn't sleep. Who doesn't sleep. He's training for the Olympics. And yet James Bond, like, you know, has a per- like perfectly matches him in fencing. <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh yeah, should we bet a thousand pounds on first touch? And he's like, sure, why not? Oh. <laughs> it's just such nonsense. But I think it, it is notable in the fact that I think this is the first actual on-screen cameo by one of the singers in a film, and possibly only. Yeah, probably. In the actual film. Yeah, in the actual film, yeah. yeah. So notable for that. I mean, maybe it's... <laughs> It's more infamous than it is famous. We should have, maybe they should have avoided it at all costs. But anyway, let's talk about the song a bit and how it came about. So MGM wanted a high-profile artist after The World Is Not Enough failed to gain commercial success in the USA. It was quite successful everywhere else except the US. So Madonna was their first choice after a couple of, I think a year before, she'd had success with Beautiful Stranger for Austin Powers 2, which is a tune. Yes. Maybe we should cover it at some point, if we do an Austin Powers special <laughs> in the wake of the Bond ones. So yeah, the success of that, because I think that charted in like the top 20 in the US, um, and it won a Grammy as well. <laughs> D, I know you'll appreciate that. Grammy reference. Thank you. Thank you. That is essentially how she came to be involved in it. Literally, they were like, we want Madonna, because she's done a successful song before for a film. But the contract cost MGM around $1 million. Wow. And that was for the song and also the acting performance, (laughs) if you could call it as such. (laughs) So Madonna said, everyone wants to do a James Bond song, and I normally like to not do what anybody else does. But then I thought James Bond needs to get techno. (laughs) (laughs) The sort of fever sweats you wake up at three in the morning. I just love that dude. She's like, well, nah, no, I won't do a James Bond song because everybody does wants to do those, and I'm not like everybody else. Although, if I did do a James Bond song, I'd do a techno version. Oh, like, wait, wait, maybe I'll do a techno version. It's just like utter nonsense, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so... I'd argue Madonna doesn't need to do techno. <laughs> Madonna is very much a follower when it comes to pop music. She does what everyone else is doing. She constantly reinvents herself to be whatever is currently popular. Which must have been techno, <laughs> apparently. Was it, when did Cher's Believe come out? Before this, I think, wasn't it? Like there you go, that's why you influenced this. <laughs> there, uh, there was some really noticeable reviews about this song, which I... Like, there was a lot of, uh, obviously, harsh criticism, but there's um, <laughs> some, some of the, the wording is, is quite good. So, a stoic response to a world gone mad. So you can say what you want about that. A slice and dice hit of Electro Clash. <laughs> hmm. That sounds like an Alan Partridge review. <laughs> Frustratingly, and this sounds more like a Alan Partridge review. So, Frustratingly anticlimactic, the oral equivalent of edging. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was just things like dumb, melodically uninteresting, hook deficient. Hook deficient. Wow, wow. that's that's a, that's a really good little snappy description. Yeah, really, really hits the nail on the head. One of my favorite thing, actual favorite things about this song, because not the actual song, because the song is terrible, but it's the music video. Did you guys watch the music video to this song, or do you remember it from the time? I don't. I watched the. No, I just watched the uh, graphic video. I didn't watch it recently, but if my memory serves, isn't she like being strapped down or something like that? Yeah. So it's it doesn't feature any clips from from the film. It's her in a sort of interrogation room with possibly also North Korean <laughs> I, I imagine that's what she's going for uh, sort of soldier so she's been like tortured but then it keeps like slicing into a, a scene where she's fencing with herself which of course is a reference to the film in a way so it's like her dressed in white 
versus her dressed in black, fencing in a room full of James Bond memorabilia. You know for certain that Madonna thinks that's the backstory to her character on screen. Oh, yes. Oh, 100%. It's like Phoebe and Friends. In fact, what it feeds into it, so she, when she came up with the song, and this links to, the, to your favourite line about Sigmund Freud, the reason that that line is in there is because she felt that the opening scene of the film was about James Bond battling with his own ego. And that's the whole thing with Sigmund Freud. And that's the whole thing with Sigmund Freud. That's the whole thing that's that what she he wants is. to do with Sigmund Freud. So oh that's, that's the line. That's why it's there. But the music video for this cost $8.67 million. Jesus Christ. How much was that fencing equipment? It was the second most expensive video ever made after Scream by the Jacksons. Wow. And that one was in space. <laughs> yeah, that one was in space. How much of that went into Madonna's pocket paying for her performance in the music video? Yeah, she's just paying herself to play herself. Well, you got to pay me twice if I'm in it twice. <laughs> well, she's in it in three different guises, really, because she's in it twice as a fencer and one that's like someone being... Yeah, this is all ad- adding up, isn't it? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> well, it was a million dollars just for that cameo in the film, so and it's about the same length as the music video. Oh, God. It's, it's something to behold the video. But the, the the song reached number three in the UK. It's pretty good. And it was behind two absolute nostalgic hits from the time. Go on, hit us with them. So number one was DJ Sammy Heaven. Nice. Obvious. That should have been the Bond song. <laughs> Imagine. Imagine. While he's being drowned. <laughs> you say that that should be the Bond song. Or should it be the, the song that was in number two, which was Dilemma by Nelly and Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> the infamous writing a text message on Microsoft Excel. Yes. Yeah. Everyone's favourite moment. Yeah, so that's that's kind of all I've got on it, actually. It's terrible. <laughs> okay, so now it's on to the next James Bond movie, Casino Royale. So it's the 21st Eon production James Bond movie, and it was released in November 2006. I'll do a plot synopsis before we get on to the juicy stuff. So, after receiving a license to kill, James Bond learns that the mysterious Le Chiffre, played by Mads Mikkelsen, is, is financing terrorist organisations. The Chiffre, sorry, Le Chiffre, plans to raise money in a high-stakes poker game. James Bond is going to raise him. <laughs> Very good. Nice touch. Thank you. Nice touch. This is a bit where I'd normally ask you guys what you think of the film, but I feel like if I ask you that now, you're just going to talk about your opinion of Daniel Craig. So I feel like I need to first talk about how we ended up with Daniel Craig as James Bond. Okay. So, I finally get to be the guy who introduces a new James Bond actor to the podcast. So, welcome Daniel Craig. Holds for mild applause. So, Pierce Brosnan was done with the James Bond franchise, so the process of finding a new Bond began in February 2004. Daniel Craig was the first person approached, but turned the role down, stating that the franchise had become too fantastical and over-the-top with Die Another Day. He's not wrong. (laughs) He's not wrong. A year passes, and the producer, Michael G. Wilson, claim, well, he claims that he has spoken or considered over 200 different names to be Brosnan's replacement. I've got a handful of them now. So there's Sam Worthington, as in from Avatar. Mm. Uh, not for me. No, definitely not. I mean, he's, he's only good for Avatar and nothing else. <laughs> I mean, you don't really need to be good for Avatar because you're not in it. <laughs> really That's the point, it. yeah. <laughs> that was the, po- the point I was making, but <laughs> I made it even clearer. And also Scottish actor Doug Ray Scott. Desperate Housewives fans in applaud. Oh, I don't actually know You would recognise me if you saw him. Is that kind of actor. Right. But the three main contenders they went with were Carl Urban. Mm. Wait, is he the one who's married to Nicole Kidman? 
<laughs> Keith Urban. That's Keith Urban. Keith Urban. Cal Urban is Judge Dredd. He was in the Star Trek as Bones. Oh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, he was in Thor Ragnarok. He was in the boys. So the reason why he couldn't do it was because filming commitments elsewhere meant he missed the final audition. Then there was, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Goran Viznich. Ah, uh, yes. If you're a fan of ER, we'll know that he was Luca on ER for 10 years. So quite well known to TV audiences, I suppose. I thought, at first I thought you were saying Goran Ivanisevic. <laughs> it's like it's getting weird. <laughs> Wimbledon <laughs> Pro. He was rejected because the producers were worried that he couldn't do a, a British accent consistently. They're pulling too many aces in the uh, poker table. And finally, only rejected because they were worried he was too young at 22 years old. Henry Cavill. Uh, Which is interesting yeah. because he's always rumoured to be replacing Daniel Craig. He's too big. I don't know if he was when he was 22 years old, though. I don't know. He's always, he's always been bigger than me. And that's the scale I go for. <laughs> Gone for these names and they still don't have anybody. They're a year into the process and they can't live with their failure. And where does that bring them? Back to Craig. I think it's back to Brosnan. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Thanos reference. Come on, guys. So, yes, lost on me, I'm afraid. Anyway, so this time they approach Daniel Craig again, but they've got a script for a new edgier, grittier, darker, Batman beginsier Casino Royale. <laughs> I hope that was their pitch. <laughs> Daniel Craig loves it, and the rest is history. So, the question is, do you like Daniel Craig as Bond? Yes. Also, yes. Okay, do you want to expand on that, or are we just going with yes? Because I also think he's a good Bond. It's good that they've gone in this way. I just think it works in much more of a modern take on Bond. It still can have a bit of their sort of schmaltz and, you know, one-liners and jokes, but still it is quite serious and grounded as much as Bond can be. And I think the worst of the Daniel Craig era is when they've lost that. You do need to develop Bond a bit more. We can't just keep settling for the same old, same old. Yeah, I agree. It helps that the films, like Ben said, went in that di- went in a new direction, like a much more grounded, gritty direction. And I think that definitely helps Daniel Craig stand out as as Bond, like you know, to distinguish himself from the others. But I, I do I do think as well he has that sort of hardened edge that maybe the rest of them didn't have. Like you never felt like Pierce Brosnan had an edge, <laughs> or True. like he he would like you know literally brawl with someone like in a bathroom like happens at the beginning of Casino Royale. I think it's just that opening scene of the film just re- redefines the film collection. So it does yeah. We'll obviously go into one of his next films and the later ones in the next Bond episode. But I think it does kind of go downhill from this point. I think this one is his best one. But I mean that did happen with Brosnan as well. Like yeah. his best one was the first one. And I think they really got it right with Casino Riley in almost mm. every mm. way. Yeah, definitely. I think so too. It's Out of all the Bonds, it's probably the only one where if I see it's on, I'll just watch it because I, I just enjoy it that much. Definitely. It's amazing how they make poker so enticing. Yeah, true. So at the point of announcement, Daniel Craig, uh, the selection of Daniel Craig was bemoaned as a terrible choice by the newspapers and the media generally, essentially because he didn't fit that usual tall, dark and handsome mould. As you said before, we clearly all feel that like this made him seem more of an actual person and more of an actual someone that could actually kill someone. It's, it's always a problem I had with Brosnan is I felt like he was he looked too smart and too cool, and I never really bought him as a killer. Maybe as a spy, but not as a killer. Yeah, I think that definitely sums it up. Yeah, you you kind of see him as a spy, like someone who would like work in the shadows and also work in these sort of like sophisticated parties. They always seem to end up at and stuff, and in these circles. But you, you couldn't see him like getting down in in the dirt. Oh no! Like, All they ever had exactly. to do was like re realign their cufflinks. That's about basically after they do after a fight. That's about <laughs> yeah. it. Sort of straighten the tie, and then onwards. 
So an anti-Daniel Craig site called DanielCraigIsNotBond.com was created to put pressure on MGM to drop Craig from the film. They were not successful. Obviously, when I read this, first thing I did, went on the website to see if it was still going. So the site does still exist, claiming that the media suspiciously stopped questioning Daniel Craig after Casino Royale. Yeah, because it was good. (laughs) In what way is that suspicious? (laughs) They saw the film, it was like, oh, this is a fantastic film, and he's a great choice for Bond. I guess we're wrong. That's it. (laughs) But no, the site's still going. Still going. (laughs) Well, they're going to finally get their way soon, aren't they? In, in a way. <laughs> in I can't imagine respects. that whoever they pick, unless they go back to somebody like Brosnan, I don't think this site's going to be happy. Yeah, I can't see them going back in the same mould as the older ones, can you? I, after no. after no. where they've taken it now, it just wouldn't make sense. Who is the favourite? Is it Tom Hardy to replace Daniel Craig? Mm-hmm. I, I know we'll talk about this in a future episode, assuming that No Time to Die ever comes out. Yeah, I think he's definitely been up there for ages. For ages, yeah. Same with, what's his name? Tom Hilston? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't see him doing it. I feel he is definitely back in the wrong direction. Like, he plays sort, sort of similar role in the Night Manager TV series, if you watch that. But My vote is for Henry Golding. That would be a fantastic choice. I want it to be David Ajala, or Ajala. I don't know exactly how it's pronounced. I don't know him. Well, he's in Star Trek Discovery, and he, he basically is just playing Bond, and it's so convincing it's, it feels like it's his audition yeah well i think that's all these people we've mentioned probably have had that sort of similarity in something like alex with the night manager and tom hiddleston there's some, yeah. there's some sort of suave character they've portrayed where it's make it's easy to make a comparison and this happened with daniel craig in layer cake yeah yes that's true. yeah yeah great film but i mean there was a lot of rumors weren't there over the last few years about idris elba but i don't know whether maybe yeah it's i think he's too, too old now, it's too old yeah. now. Too old now. He could do one film, and then by the second film, they'd have to do the Daniel Craig problem, where they're going, two films ago, you just got your license, and now you're too old for service. <laughs> <laughs> you're getting too old. Should we move on to the song? Yep. Have we got anything else to say about Casino Royale, the film? The fantastic film it is. No, it's just, it's just great. So, You Know My Name was released the same month as Casino Royale, and was performed by the late, great American rock singer Chris Cornell. So before I get into how the song came about, what do you guys think of this one? Amazing. <laughs> just that right. One of only two I ever had on my iPod, I think, and View to a Kill, obviously. It's just, yeah, I, like I say, I think it fitted with our musical taste of the time because yeah. I have seen some, you know, people who say it is not a good Bond song, and so it's hard to, I guess, it's hard to separate my music tastes when I was what fourteen and eighteen because yeah, this was just right up my street. Yep, I'm exactly the same. Yeah, how about you, Alex? Yeah, same. I mean, I think we actually did. We we saw Chris Cornell perform this live, didn't we? At one point, did we? <laughs> I think I I was the same as as what you said, Bennett. When I've been looking at lists and stuff, it always ranks quite low. This one, which really surprises me, because as a song, it's probably one of the one of the best ones going in my opinion. But that could be down to music taste. I guess the question becomes whether it's a Bond theme. But I think it has enough of those like uh, flourishes in there to make it a Bond mm. theme. I mean, it's certainly more yeah. rockier than some of the others but i think that's just reflective of the time like like the ones in the 80s are reflective of the 80s i think so it's clear that all three of us love this song it might have ruined the the best and worst segment in the next episode but let's find out what the spy movie specialist over at spy hards podcast thought of this one hey guys scott and cam here from the spy hards movie podcast we want to weigh in on your naughty's bond song choices we went with you know my name by chris cornell for the casino royale film yeah, a song I remember, it really grated on me initially. It felt too contemporary for this return to a more classic Connery-like Bond. But I got to say, it's really grown on me over the years a lot. 
Yeah, trying to give the character a new harder edge using Chris Cornell's vocals and that guitar line just feels like it's trying to revitalize the character and give it something fresh to the viewers. And when you look at its placement, you know, between Die Another Day and Another Way to Die, I mean, how can you not think this is the greatest song in the history of all songs? (laughs) There you go. Thanks, guys. And thank you, guys. I mean, they basically just echoed what we said there, right? Yeah, but it's it's a really good point on the sort of the gritty, edgier Bond, and that because yeah. Chris Cornell's voice is just it's so effortless, but seems so like painful and harsh at the same time. Yeah, it almost tells a story in itself. No one ever sounds or will sound like Chris Cornell, hmm. and yeah, it really works and fits with that Bond. I love that point at the end, <laughs> sandwiched in between the other two. Yeah. How can you not think it's they just flat out the best song ever? Not even James Bond. Related. Just if if you have to compare it to those two. <laughs> Our thanks to Spyhards there at Spyhards on Twitter. They did well to get that handle. Chris Cornell was handpicked for this movie by well, it said Sony, but also when I clicked on the link, changed to MGM. So I think it was that sort of weird time when Sony and MGM and Columbia were all sort of becoming the same thing essentially. In an interview, Cornell said he was shocked to be asked because he assumed it was going to be somebody British. I mean, that doesn't make any sense because half the time it's not somebody British. Especially like the last six songs or something yeah. old in America. It's probably one of those assumptions and probably shows that he's probably not a Bond fan. Well, he goes on to say that he's a fan of the Connery films but hasn't really liked them since. As in he hasn't liked the Connery films since. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, let's go with that. <laughs> So Cornell was eventually agreed following Daniel Craig's appointment because he felt that it was going to have a different vibe and he was invited on set to get a feel for the film. What was interesting that they picked him way before the film had even finished production. Hmm. After being on set for the day, Chris Cornell and the movie composer David Arnold, if I remember he serves, mm-hmm. I've not written it down here because that would have been helpful. They began working on the song separately and then eventually meeting to combine their ideas, which they said went very well, which <laughs> is a far cry from the drunken debauchery days of John Barry and Duran Duran. Now, that was true rock and roll though. However, because it took so long for Chris Cornell to be announced publicly, a couple of other names were thrown into the hat by themselves, not by anyone behind the scenes. Tina Turner claimed that she was going to come back and do the song for Casino Royale. I'm glad she did. <sighs> you know what you're getting. <laughs> but I think like with her, with GoldenEye, obviously that was like kind of a harkening back to the sort of 60s, possibly even early 70s Bond songs. So I think yeah, it would have been exactly. a bit of a step backwards, maybe. Mm-hmm. Although, like the guy said from the Spy Hard podcast, in some ways, Craig is more in the Connery mold, isn't he? Like it is all, it is sort of a rebirth of that, but not in every way. It's more of a hands-on sort of a... Uh, a bond that you could actually see doing many of the things that he mm-hmm. does. Yeah. But in terms of the actual direction of the film, it is still very different. So I think that's why it wouldn't have worked. Maybe. Well, the second name was Tony Christie. <laughs> <laughs> he put himself in the ring. He claimed that he was going to write the song for Casino Royale. And it was called, Is This the Way to the Casino Royale? <laughs> yeah, is this the way? I was going to say, is, the way, is this the way to Bosnia and Herzegovina? <laughs> I can't imagine that I'd have gone down well. No. It definitely doesn't feel like Tony Christie could write a song that would fit the Daniel Craig Casino Royale film. <laughs> definitely not. If this was 2006, was this basically around the time that Is This The Way To Amarillo was popular again? It must have been. He just posted it, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it must have been the year after, because if it was 2006, he would have just released England Win The World Cup. <laughs> I think we can all be glad that Chris Cornell was selected here, not Tony Christie. <laughs> yep. Right, so that brings me on to the critical reception of Cornell's effort. Obviously, we liked it. Spyhards liked it. James Berardinelli of Reels Views said the song sounded eerily like something by John Barry. Does it, though? <laughs> uh, Does it, though? Yeah, what? <laughs> 
I, di- I didn't understand it. But unfortunately, when I tried to click on the site to get the full review, not just the clip on Wikipedia, the site was not there anymore. Good. Or at least the link didn't work. So we don't know how we, how we quantified that <laughs> statement. It's a total disagreement. It did not sound like something like John Barry would write. Yeah, because, I mean... I mean I... Where's the penis jokes? <laughs> well, yeah, where's the innuendo for one? Entertainment Weekly listed You Know My Name on their list of Academy Award snubs for Best Original Song. Do you want to know what won that year? Go on. I Need to Wake Up from An Inconvenient Truth by Melissa Etheridge. The noughties Oscar winning songs are poor. Really, really poor. I've got the other four nominees as well if you want. Go on. Yeah, go for it. We've got Listen from Dreamgirls. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a good song. Yeah. From a good film. Yep. And then you've got Love You, I Do from Dreamgirls. Yep. Is there another one? Are they all from Dreamgirls? <laughs> <laughs> then you've got Patience. From Dreamgirls. <laughs> and then obviously you've got Our Town from Cars by Randy Newman. And also in Dreamgirls. <laughs> it's a poor show where you've got three songs nominated and you don't win. Yeah, there should be a, like a limit on how many songs a single film can have nominated. It's a good film though. And all the songs are good. Entertainment Weekly, they went on to say it's a musically suave, lyrically ominous rock tune that is perfect for Casino Royale's dark reboot. I couldn't have put it by myself. No? And then finally, we have Chris Long from the BBC. Uh, let me just put my drink down for this one. Oh, God. <laughs> he described Chris Cornell's grating grunge and rock vocals as lacking the ability to convey emotion. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> if you watch him perform, it's just so sorrowful, potentially linked with, you know, untimely death of him. But a lot of critics, when you don't know someone or you already have an opinion of a type of music or a singer, songwriter, you, you're not even allowing yourself to be impacted by it. And I think if it hasn't won you over in the first five seconds, you kind of, you're already writing that review while you're listening to the rest of it. Yeah, I've got another quote from this person's review of this song. So ultimately, he said that Cornell's voice was a nuisance that weighs down the lump and bond theme. Wow. Now, I was very close to messaging this person and saying, <laughs> it's been 13 years, do you still stand by this? I decided against it in the end. <laughs> you should have asked him to listen to it in between Die Another Day and Another Way to Die. <laughs> see, and see if his opinion changed. The Spy Hard's method. It's the only true method. Yep. It's how I do my research for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, literally is how I did my research for this. <laughs> Maybe that's why it stands out so good in the head. <laughs> Can we just say as well, the graphical intro for Casino Royale is amazing. Oh yeah, we haven't we haven't touched on the credits yet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's the best one. I think it might be the best one of all of them. Yeah, because they sort of go for like a, an animated style, don't they? Yeah, all the way through. But it kind of reminds me of like sort of like Catch Me If You Can intro. You know that really yeah. good Catch Me If You Can intro. There's a couple of points on this opening credits I should have written down in my notes. I don't know why I didn't. But one, the animated version of Daniel Craig looks incredibly like Daniel Craig, despite the fact he's got no features. Yeah. Well, I think it's that sort of silhouette. He's quite a, um, a buff ting. Isn't he just? <laughs> the other thing I was going to say about the opening credits was how much it foreshadowed the film going forward. Does it have like a... I say, spoilers. Does it have Lashifra holding like a, a giant spade hitting Daniel Craig's nutsack? Uh, it does, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's things like, for example, when you see Vesper Lynn's face, you see two of them because she's later going to betray James Bond in the film. And also like a like a playing card has two faces. I have to yeah. say, I never have m- many opportunities to say this, but that's the only blemish I have on Casino Royale. I feel like the film ends and then it starts again. Yes. That, I that's the only thing I don't like that. about it. After the Le Chiffre gets taken, he's on the French Riviera sort of place recovering. She runs off and then the whole sort of action scene starts happening again. 
it, I just don't like that. I feel like, what are we going again? Is it? All, is the film almost finished? I don't understand. I'm not prepared. Something I did read is that Vesper was supposed to die in the previous scene. I think they wanted him to almost, because he causes her death. Spoilers. But I think they Come just on, wanted to hammer that down. Just like they hammer his nutsack. So that brings an end to part one of our look at the James Bond songs of the Zeros. We'll be back next week with another episode about Another Way to Die and hopefully a fantastic Ben top five. The silence is worrying. There'll be a top five. It just won't be fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. That was my fault. Sorry, guys. Get ready for a lukewarm reception. So we're top five next week. Bye. In your mind right now, Ben, are you just visualising when it comes out of the scene? I'm looking out of the window, Alex, like, doing that exact <laughs> thing right now. The image of Jinx from Dino is trying to force its way in, but it's just, Daniel's just busting her out of the way. I am Pierce looking through those binoculars. You've got Daniel Craig in his uh, small pants with like Honey Rider and Jinx <laughs> either side, and you're just pushing them away. No, he is. He's coming to me. <laughs>